This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. There he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Good morning, good morning. Here we are in the Ward Scott Man Cave, the manly man cave, but we're at Steve Spurrier Studio Podcast Studio right now in the Melton Law sponsoring us here. They won't back down. As you know, they are the only official law partner of the University of Florida. And we've got, of course, Maurice T. McDaniel sponsoring our monk shots. And of course, we're protected by crime prevention wherever we go. But here at Spurrier Studio, podcast studio, we are surrounded by the great uh, legendary helmets and all the above. But the big legendary hero we've got today with us is none other than Ramsey Samurai. I've got to give him a big drum roll because he has an enormous following. And those of you who hear that he's here will no doubt be like the dog in front of the microphone years ago that was listening to its master's voice. And the RCA. Get, uh, the RCA, because Ramsey commands that type of audience. He is a world-renowned expert on everything. Have it's, someone message in the name of the dog. <laughs> and, of course, what he is is par excellence at Foreign Affairs. He's had his own show. He's got all sorts of uh, privileges and expertise. And we're just lucky to uh, snag him now and then to be on the show with us because... He's an elusive character. You might even call him mercurial. Hmm, mercurial. That's a good word. <laughs> elusive mercurial. Mercurial. Yeah, I, like yeah, he's that. A mercur- yeah. I like that mercurial to describe Ramsey Samurai. Ramsey, a long time uh, since we've been together, and a lot has happened. And no, uh, and I'd, I've been wanting to talk to you, and I'm sure that the uh, the, the friends of uh, of the show have been wanting to hear you talk about all this business with Putin and Russia, and it's a disaster for me. I, I my heart aches when I see the children in the hospitals, and I just don't know how to plumb this madness. So I'm going to sit back and listen uh, listen to you teach me and our audience about what you think's going on, sir. Well, last time I was here, we talked about, is he going to invade or not? And I was, I don't know if he's going to invade. He would be insane too, because if he invaded, he would in fact strengthen NATO not weaken it like he wanted to. He would, in fact, bring NATO to his borders, even closer to Moscow than it is now. And he would get new members of NATO, and he would become an international pariah. His economy's not built for prolonged war. He's going he's gonna to run into a little bit more of a buzzsaw than he thinks he will. And on and on and on and on. And, and I reminded everybody that let's remember Russia's GDP is roughly equivalent to the state of New York's. It's it's not this massive economy that you can see from here. It's it's a good economy, but it's the size of the state of New York's. Just wrap your mind around that. The entire Russian army, the entire Russian government, the entire Russia Russian is is run on money the same amount as the state of New York runs. Uh, and they get it from their gas and oil. Is that where they primarily? Oh, they're, they're a commodities uh, economy. That is, that's another thing that they have a problem with. 
If you're a commodities economy, people can boycott you. People can say, well, we can get that commodity somewhere else and drive the price up or down and manipulate your economy and your market while you're at war, which makes no sense if you are trying to win a war. So anyway, all that being said, the dumbass invades. And absolutely every bad thing that he wanted to prevent and he went to war to stop has occurred. His economy's in the tank. He's having a whole lot more trouble with with the uh, Ukrainian army than he thought he would. The whole world's against him. He is an international pry at this point. And NATO suddenly has a newfound mission, and places like Germany are increasing their defense spending. So when you've got the economy of New York sitting over here, and you have the EU's economy sitting over here, which is roughly equivalent to the U.S. economy. It's smaller, but it's roughly equivalent. It's in the trillions, okay? And you've got all the rest of the world saying, hey, we want to join NATO too. You've got Finland, for God's sakes. Finland has a treaty with, with Russia, or the old Soviet Union, but I imagine it's the successor treaty as well. But Finland has an agreement with Russia that they won't, that they won't get involved in European matters of war and and foreign and diplomatic issues. And that, that was how Finland, by the way, the Soviets had a lot of trouble defeating Finland too. In fact, they never quite got around to finishing that war, although they did grab some territory. But when you, when you start thinking that Finland is like, you know, we would rather be in the NATO tent instead of this neutral nonsense because we... we his invasion of, of Ukraine was so irrational and so against the, the, the stated goals of the, the, the Russian national security imperatives. See, that's the first thing that you, that you should do. If you are the ruler of a country, the first thing you do is you have in your mind what your national security imperatives are. These are things that must exist or not exist for the state that I run to exist. The United States has some national security imperatives. One is we control the seas. The Pacific and the Atlantic are our national imperatives. Those are our big giant moats and not a lot gets across without us seeing it. And we have defenses that will stop you from coming across. If you're trying to do an amphibious invasion of the United States, I wish you luck because it's a long distance. Your supply lines are ridiculous and the United States is waiting for you. In the United States has another national security imperative is that Canada cannot be subjugated by any third power and that Mexico cannot be subjugated by any third power. They've got to be Mexico. They've got to be Canadian. And the other one is, is that we have to have open Caribbean sea lanes. And that's why that's why Cuba periodically becomes a big deal. And that's why. Puerto Rico is American territory, and that's why all the rest of those little islands, Jamaica, Dominican Republic, and all those other areas are more or less kept very calm and very quiet and pro-U.S. We want our ships to go through. If you back up, another national security imperative of the United States is, if you back up from those sea lanes, what are you talking about? New Orleans. We have got to have a free and open port in New Orleans, and by extension, Biloxi and Houston. And by extension, Tampa and Pensacola 
and Miami and Jacksonville and Savannah and on and on and on up the, the eastern seaboard. But the bottom line is, is that trade must flow down the Mississippi, the whole Mississippi River Valley, the Missouri and the, and the uh, what is the other one that goes the other way? There's Mississippi, Missouri, and then there's Ohio, I guess is that mm -hmm, river. Yeah. Those have got to be open and free for trade, which by extension says that our Canadian imperative is a Great Lakes imperative too. So the Hudson River has to have that canal that's open that goes down into the, you know, what, what is New York for if not, to, if not to receive trade from Chicago? And when you start putting all the bits and pieces together, it would be insane for the United States to start a war with Canada so that they can come and start bombing Chicago. Okay, they're going to lose the war, but in the meantime, they're going to destroy Chicago and destroy Great Lakes trade, and they're going to blow up all the, all the dikes and the levees and everything we spent 250 years building. So that's the rough equivalent of what Vladimir Putin did. He's like, okay, I'm going to go and start a war with Canada. We're going to get the crap knocked out of Chicago. We're going to lose our trade, our internal trade that gets our, our St. Louis, Chicago, and all that, all the upper Midwest into the Hudson River and into the Great Lakes and off into the Atlantic, or we're going to ruin it so much that the crap goes downhill and New Orleans is going to get involved. And if that happens, we're going to lose the Caribbean. If that happens, I mean, you see what Vladimir Putin's doing here. He has so, he has so tied up his military that he is in danger of losing Siberia. Now, no one's sitting around talking about that, but Vladimir Putin doesn't have the, 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 the necessary military to go all the way. Do you know where Siberia is to Moscow? You can see it from uh, the governors of Alaska's house. Which right? is actually true. That's true. I mean, if, if you, and by the way, what she saw wasn't the mainland. It's an island. <laughs> it's a Russian island. She is absolutely correct in saying she can see Russia from her back porch yeah. because she can. Yeah. There's a little island sitting right out there that's Russian territory, and American islands, I think it's the Aleutians, go all the way down, almost to Japan, really. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's really far down to how far down that's they right. go. But um, when, when you realize that he has tied up his military, proven it doesn't work, that's another thing we learned from this invasion. It's not that good a military. You're not a world power. You know, if it weren't for the nukes, you'd be third rate. They're a third, they're a third world country with nukes is really all they are. And so they've proven that. They've proven that Vladimir Putin is obviously insane, but it proved something else. He's in charge because everybody in Russia must have known that was insane. That was one of my statements in the last show we did together about Russia. I was saying, we're going to find out if there's a war, Vladimir Putin is indeed in, in charge, which I didn't think he was that in charge. You know, it's very rare because remember he got kidnapped? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was one of the, that was where, like Gorbachev uh, got kidnapped down in his little black sea. Down there. Yeah, it was down there. He's held captive for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, you, you know, Vladimir Putin, he, he disappeared for about two weeks. He came back a changed man. You know, he was ready to really start talking to the oligarchs and he was really ready to spread his billions around. And basically they were mad that he was hogging all the toys. And it wasn't about the people of Russia, and it wasn't about the Russian state or the Russian national security imperatives. It was how much Vladimir Putin was stealing and not sharing with them. And so he had a come-to-Jesus moment down there, and they let him go back and be 
you know, the, the, basically the czar of Russia. That's another thing. We've discovered that Vladimir Putin is indeed the czar of Russia. Well, now, let's ask a couple of questions that have come up in the news, and you know quite well we've talked about it. Uh, Saber-rattling with Taiwan and China is no coincidence, I don't suppose. How do you figure they see themselves in relationship to all this mess? Who, Russia and... China and it's Taiwan, you know, as... There's no relationship. There's none. Everyone keeps talking about... There is a very interesting theory by George Friedman... He's a G- GPS, geopolitical futures, genius of a, of a person. I actually have a certification in geopolitics from him. And uh, he, he says, and it's a really interesting theory, and I think I'm buying into it. He says that if we allow the Donbass region to, that's that easternmost region of Ukraine, which is Russian territory, according to Vladimir Putin. And uh, the reason there's so many Russians in the Donbass region is because Stalin starved all the gulags in that area, killed them all through starvation, and then moved the Russians in. They colonized it in the 1930s. So there is a very evil and insidious reason that the Donbass region is Russian. It was Russian through terror. So it's same with the Crimea. So anyway, George Friedman is saying that if we allow that to go without a cost so dear that Vladimir Putin can claim victory, then we have institutionalized for the next century uh, uh, diplomacy by war. And this is the old imperial style of, of diplomacy. You just go and you start snagging the pieces of the countries you want. And Taiwan, in that case, would then fall under that argument and become a very real part of all what's going on here. Because right now, diplomacy in the, in the Pacific is being tried by the minister of China and uh, their diplomatic corps. They've called together all the little itty bitty tiny. Uh, it's, it's, it, get a map out someday and look at the Pacific. Get a big map because all the Pacific islands are tiny. Little atolls and little mountains in the you know, and you get you know two or three thousand of these. There's thousands of islands out there. It's amazing, and you add all these together, and you actually get little countries out there, and you can draw these big lines around two thousand islands, and that's a country. Well, China's running around there today as we speak, trying to get to all these little bitty countries to start signing up on their like Asian prosperity sphere or something like that. And uh, they're not going for it. The United States probably got out there first and was like, oh, the hell. And um, uh, they're not falling for it. And it's mostly because China's track record with these kinds of negotiations don't turn out well for the host country. There's a lot of debt and there's a lot of uh, Chinese pushing you around and a lot of Chinese taking over of your foreign policy, your economy, and generally just not being good neighbors. But... um, uh, what we're seeing right now is diplomacy by war in Russia and diplomacy by negotiations in the, in the Pacific, South Pacific specifically. And George Freeman saying, one's not working and one may. If Vladimir Putin, I mean, he's leveled, what, three or four major cities? Oh, yeah, yeah. Just to get his way? Oh, yeah. I mean, 
terrorize civilians. It, it would be the equivalent of Steve Spurrier coming into his own restaurant with a baseball bat and taking the place out because that's how he thinks he's going to get better business. I mean, it's an insane thought doing an insane thing for an insane reason. And it, it I mean, it would make no sense. Right now, if you allow Vladimir Putin to have to continue doing what he does, claim victory, and the victory is going to be what makes him make sense. Because he's going to say, well, all I wanted was victory. How I did it was just, you know, the genius that is me. You know, none of you saw the victory, but there it is. Well, let me ask you about something about NATO that's troubled me, and I think I've heard you discuss it. We have talked about it before, and that's Turkey. Hmm. I really have a Not lot a great of, fit for NATO, I, is it? Ramsey, I've got a lot of reservations about that guy. In Turkey, I know it's supposedly the bridge between Asia and Europe and all that business, but it's not. It's a Muslim country, right? It's the only one. It's the only one, and it is against Finland and Sweden coming into the NATO. That's a negotiation position, and there there are issues between the UK and I believe France with Turkey within the NATO agreement that they want sorted out. I think it has to do with arms sales or something. And so the, the president of Turkey, what's his name, Ergon? Yeah, uh, he's not my favorite guy. He's not a lot of people's favorite guy. Uh, he basically is using the, there's no real veto power of any one member, but it's kind of a custom that everybody has to go, oh, yeah. It's it be unanimous. Yeah, but there's no rule for that. Read the NATO charter. It's not in there. But uh, he's he's basically holding them hostage as a negotiation tactic, and everybody thinks he's going to let loose of it at some point. If he lets loose of it, then you've really got um, Putin circled. But Putin's Putin, not Putin's not going to be happy when that happens. Yeah, he will. That that will be a big. Now listen, let's talk about the Joker in the deck, and I don't mean Joker, Joker, because it's scary. It's keeping all this uh, hesitancy on our part, I suppose, and that's the nuclear power. Mm-hmm. I don't know what we can. What are your suggestions about how we deter? You were there. You were. You were once upon a time monitoring all this nuclear. Fire. Oh God, yeah. What do we do about this? Whose nukes? Ours or theirs? Theirs. Well, Putin said, "Hey, don't forget, I have nukes." And no one in America, not that we needed to say this, but no one in America publicly did the obvious. Well, that's great, Vladimir. So do we. Okay. And so does China. And so does England. And so does France. And so do a few other people, Israel and Pakistan India. and India. Yeah. They, they all got nukes. So you want to throw a few out? Okay. And you really want to turn this into a nuclear thing? Because there won't be a Russia. There'll be a United States minus a city or two. There'll be an England minus a city or two. There'll be a France. There'll be all the rest of us still around, but we'll be royally pissed and you will be vapor. So, I mean, it was the most ridiculous thing. Do statement. we really have the will to do that? You and I consider that. I don't it, know if Biden and his characters have got that. It, I, don't, I don't believe, this is me talking theoretical. I don't believe that there is a choice when, when another nation lifts nukes off. And here's, here's what's interesting. I agree with you, by the way. When a nuke lifts off, the choice is, do I launch mine now or do I take the hit for the justification of the annihilation of my enemy? Okay, so, I, I mean, that that's really what the argument really, it's that 20 minutes. 
between the launching of the nuke and the landing of a nuke that it really becomes the political. And, and it seems that in most Western nations, they will take the hit and then launch their nukes. Come with the Ramsey Samurai here today, who is a sometime guest here, used to be a frequent guest. We've done shows together. Uh, I know you enjoy listening to him and uh, uh, talking uh, with us as we uh, try to sort this mess out that has been well around ever since I've been a kid. You know, I was um, there for um, in the world for that first one, and uh, then we had to hide under the tables as little elementary school kids for because that was effective. Yeah, 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 we were afraid then, and. Uh, uh, and then we got it kind of calmed down. I guess we calmed it down by I have as many as you have, and I'll use mine, you use yours, so nobody uses them. But now we got a madman involved here. Yeah, that's the problem. He's proven himself to be insane. Yeah, and this this is really an issue um, because this guy doesn't seem to be. I suppose he's going to let's say his dreams came true and he accomplished what he wanted to get accomplished. I suppose is he'd settle for the eastern part of. Well, it's pretty obvious at this point that he doesn't have the wherewithal to, he didn't take the capital. Right. And he, he uh, the North, he abandoned, and uh, he, he sent everything through. Well, his main problem was he had three areas theaters, and there was no, there was no tying them together because there are Ukrainians in between each one. And he had to he had to choose a site to defeat the the Ukrainians, and the easiest place to defeat them would have been where his supply lines and his army are backed up against his border. The rest of it was just it, one was in Belarus and one was Poland. Almost did Crimea embolden him in any way, shape, or form? Because we let that happen, right? Uh, Obama basically allowed see that, that using George Freeman's theory. That was the first domino. That was the first domino. Yeah. yeah, he should have been slapped and slapped hard then. Yes. And uh, and and whoever the president was at the time predicted that the next thing is he's going to nibble off the edges. And, uh, and keeping in mind, too, it's very hard to argue for a Ukraine because there's technically no such place. It's sort of like Kurdistan. You know, there's this place that is kind of Catholic, speaks Ukrainian, does have a Ukrainian culture, and this and that and the other, but it's always been part of Lithuania or Russia or, or Belarus or little chunks of it were in, in those Bulgaria and those little Slavic countries up there, or it was a piece of Poland, or it was part of a large Byzantine empire, or it was a large part of the Roman empire. It's never been Ukraine. Ukraine is a modern invention. And you can draw a line around a place called Ukraine. It's it's actually an oblast, which is sort of the equivalent of a United States state like Florida would be an oblast over there. But oblasts come in different flavors of different kinds of sovereignty. And Ukraine was a, a, a very independent oblast of the Soviet Union. And it was a very uh, independent oblast of the Russian Empire. So they kind of always been a Ukraine out there, but it's always been somewhere else flying another flag. So when when you sit here and you start talking about a Ukraine, uh, you know, they came and took the Crimea. Well, the Crimea was given to the Ukraine. Crimea has never been part of the oblast of Ukraine, and except when 
Khrushchev gave it to Ukraine for a birthday present. <laughs> he got drunk on vodka and he was having a birthday party and he decided to get, because, you know, Khrushchev was Ukrainian. Right. And he right. decided, hey, you Farmer, know, I'm, Farmer, yeah, right. I'm going to give, I'm going to give my oblast a present. How about Crimea? You know, <laughs> got, you know why not Poland? You know, <laughs> it was ridiculous. But that's how the Crimea ended up in Ukraine. It's never been part of the oblast. It's never been part of, they don't speak Ukrainian over there. There were Cossacks over there. And now, now you've got him running around uh, talking about, well, these borders here, there's really, see, this part here really isn't Ukraine. Well, we discussed that. Stalin made, Stalin made sure that there were no Ukraines there so that you could then say it's nothing but Russians there. So, but using the language, culture kind of template on where a real country lays, well, the Donbass region is no longer really Ukrainian because it, it over the last hundred years, it's been Russified. There's no doubt about it. There, it's kind of a Russian territory now. And um, the rest of it is is mostly Ukrainian until you start getting towards the edges. And the edges, there's a little piece here. You want to start talking about Donbass? Well, why doesn't Poland talk about that little piece there? They speak Polish there and they're Catholic there. They'd probably rather be over there than here anyway. And then you go down in the south, there's a little piece that speaks Roman and your little piece that speaks Bulgar and your little piece that speaks something else. And once you get done partitioning Ukraine, there's kind of like the Kivian state that's sort of Ukraine and it's not a viable territory at that point. Well, the sanctions actually have an effect on Russia. Well, they are. Do they? Yeah. They're, having a they're, they're, they're running around, uh, uh, playing around Bitcoin now. They're, they uh, they went to a, the gold standard. Uh, the ruble is, of course, useless. And uh, they're using commodities trading. I mean, think about... How about your citizen on the street to the grocery store? I see they have empty shelves. Am I looking at that right? Are you talking about the U.S. or Russia? Russia. <laughs> okay. Russia. Well, um, not them here, but that's a different... Yeah, that's a different reason. Russia's always had shortages and and scarcity so most of them are going hmm we must have another czar in power you know <laughs> this is nothing new to those poor people wow so most of the russia that we think of as russia really the troublesome part that is messing with everything in the europe is really over there on the uh western front out to the East. Uh, yeah, there's 130 million Russians, and they're mostly there. Yeah, there's mm -hmm. nothing going on out east. No, um, those are, uh, you know, all the, all the stands were in the bottom. That was part of the Soviet well, Union. I need to understand those stands, because somebody asked me today, I just don't understand the stands, and anything you can shed light on, I don't understand the stands either. And the way this came up, Ramsey, was we're watching the French Open, which, by the way, you know, they won't, Wimbledon will not allow the Russian players to play. Yeah. And that's very controversial. But you'll have a player that will come from Kyrgyzstan or this stand or that stand. You know there's no tennis there. So what's going on with these stands? I I, I... well there's the oligarchs run the stands at the fall of the Soviet Union. There there were never any stands to start with. Okay. Remember the Aga Khan? Okay, the Aga Khan Ali. He was the last kind of kingish Sort of a king is an Aga Khan. Sort of chief of chiefs is really the way to look at it. He was the last king of Afghanistan. And he was sort of asked once, can you show us on a map where your country is? Because we think it's here. 
but there's just a place that goes Afghanistan, and then there's a place that goes Iran, and then there's sort of a border between here, but where's your country? And he just kind of drew an oval and goes, oh, he's sort of in here. <laughs> uh, okay, there are no borders. Okay, but there was sort of in there. That's Afghanistan. Well, those were the stands. There's Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Abidjan, or something like that, right? Anyway, there's like eight of them. And they used to be able to just go, well, it's sort of around here. But the modern states need lines. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're a Kazakh, well, this is our area. This is where our tribe goes, and this is tribes that, you know, listen to us, and these are tribes that agree with us. But we're the big tribe, so it's Kazakhstan, and it's this kind of triangular shape here. Well, the Soviets come along, and they go, no, this is Kazakhstan. And, you know, and he drew it around. I was like, well, why, why is there a piece of Kazakhstan way the hell over there? <laughs> uh, well, that's where the oil is. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, we reached out and grabbed it, okay? So... So it, when you look at these borders for Kazakhstan, they're all made up, just like the borders in Africa, all made up. Okay, so when you when you have the Stans seed from Russia, the Soviet Union, they took their borders with them. I, I mean, are you aware that in Kazakhstan is the Soviet era and now the Russian space station? Their NASA ended up in another country, okay? It's just like that conversation we had last time about the Ukrainian nukes. They ended, those were Soviet nukes that just mirrored, they were never Ukrainian nukes. Those were Soviet nukes that ended up in Ukrainian hands. And the Ukrainians were like, crap, what well, do know, we do I, with these I things? I am mindful now that you mentioned of Chernobyl being in- Yeah, it's in I Ukraine. Mean, crazy. Yeah. I always thought of that as deep in the heart of Russia. Nope. <laughs> and it's right there in Ukraine. Well, see, Vladimir Putin believed it to be deep in the heart of Russia. Uh -huh. See, if you look at a map, what's the Donbass region? Okay, here's the Urals, okay? And this is the Donbass that goes around the, the Black Sea and up the Urals. And the only real- economically viable passes and militarily viable passes are through these Donbass, little, little passes. It's sort of like the Cumberland Gap in Tennessee. Is it Tennessee? That's, I think yeah, it's in yeah, Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, the, the United States' as colonies was like banging on the Appalachians the whole time going, how in the hell are we going to get over there? They, they, You know, a few people went up a mountain and down the mountain and they saw the Ohio River Valley and they were like, holy crap, this is even nicer than what we've got on the other side of the <laughs> Appalachians, but there's no way to get our chuck wagons over this until they found the Cumberland Gap. And then they could get their economies through there and their militaries and their, you know, their people and settlers and stuff. Well, that's the same thing with the Donbass is they need the Urals in that territory for access to the sea, which is access to a sea, which is access to a sea, which is access to the Atlantic, or access to a canal, which is access to the Indian Ocean. So, I mean, Russia is shoved up in there, and they are so landlocked that they literally, let me explain that I was again. I'm just going to go to you on that, because it is really landlocked. They I are. take that for granted, because here we have this country between two big spacious bodies of water, with river tributaries draining to the Gulf. Yes, I mean, and Great Lakes. You the north. could not have designed a better country than the United States. We have a pacifist, very lightly populated, very polite country to our north. 
Okay. And if we ever need to grab a chunk of it, well, they'll probably happily give it to us. And you, we've got this desert to the south. We've got oceans on both sides. And we have wonderful deep harbors on both ends. And it's, uh, you couldn't have designed and this better. Tra trade winds across. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, here's a fun fact for you. Name another country that has a major city 100 miles inland that's a major port. Houston. Houston is in Texas. You you literally cannot see the sea from Houston. Okay, but the river, it's deep enough and wide enough, and the gulf is right there. And then, of course, oil pay for it. So, but anyway, uh, what, what you're looking at was when all these stands, you're, you're, you're we're not getting, okay, all these stands went away, that was their buffer zone. Okay, so now they're all part of a, a uh, Eurasian economic council and that's how he's trying to build the empire back together so even though there's a enormous number of ethnic groups all the stands are different ethnic groups okay the russians still seem to have a bit of overlord going on out there because of that long 75 year relationship with the soviet union and because of that 300 year relationship with the I guess, the the empire. Yeah. Well, Tommy Ramsey Samurai here on the Ward Scott Files. We're going to take a little break here now. We're at the bottom of the hour, roughly yes, thereabouts. And uh, we will uh, be right back in just a moment after we thank our sponsors. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome back to the Ward Scott Files here in um, Steve Spurrier Podcast Studio here today because we have a special guest with us today. 
Ramsey Samurai, the mercurial Ramsey Samurai. There was something else you said, mercurial. Oh, I don't know. Mercurial seems to fit it. Uh, you know, did you ever tried to pick up mercury in a chemistry lab when it dropped? You can't do it. I remember as a kid, we were allowed <laughs> to play with it. <laughs> <laughs> and that would explain all my brain damage. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, but uh, Ramsey is a brainiac, in case you haven't figured it out. A good friend, and able to talk at length about a lot of complicated subjects and make it seem seamless, if you will. But uh, we've been covering the Russia situation now, which is very complicated, and in my lifetime has gone through, I don't know if there's ever any peaceful history to it, because I grew up, Ramsey, on the Stalin thing, and then grew up, of course, on the Khrushchev thing, and then Cuba, which was an extension of all that, and there's nothing ever been settled, it seems. Why are they so restless? What is wrong with those people? Why can't they just settle down and get along? Misplaced resources. Is that it? Yep. Misplaced resources? When the world is not designed for fairness, the geopolitical world is not fair. The United States is sitting on the mother load of continental resources and security. We have vast prairies. We have mountains full of ores. We have oceans on both sides protecting us and providing us whatever resources we want out of there. We have rivers that rival the greatest rivers everywhere. Several of the rivers. I mean, think of it. Mississippi alone, yeah, yeah. it makes the United States a great nation. And when you when you look at that, the United States made a a this this manifest destiny, Western Ho, that that was a a well thought out public relations geopolitical statement for the masses. It's like manifest destiny in, in, in the Western mind. It was like, yes, to California. If you look at a map of the United States, it was 13 colonies. And then, boom, one day we owned everything in the middle from the Louisiana Purchase. And where were the next states? California. We skipped everything in between. It was like, go to the end, lock up the edge, and we'll fill in the middle later because we already had it. So when, when you look at the United States, it's just designed to become a superpower. And when you look at China, it is not designed to be a superpower. It's designed to be the fractious, contentious, starve, you know, ever so often starving, flooding place. I mean, there's, it's, it's got limited resources. It doesn't have a whole lot of arable land and it has enemies all around. And it seems to have an ocean, but his ocean looks directly into a chain of major islands like Japan, like Taiwan, like, you know, if you get a map of China and there it is, China, and here's all your islands. Take it and turn China's east coast, face it north, and then look up. That If you ever want to study a map, turn it in a different direction to get a different perspective. And all of a sudden, you will see China from the coast that a Chinese sees. And, you're, and, and you know how Sarah Palin saw Russia from her back porch? Well, China sees Japan, and mm -hmm. China sees Taiwan, yeah, yeah. and China sees Korea, and China sees a bit of Russia. I mean, they're not, they're back there. It's it's basically a, a well-populated, overpopulated lake they look into. It's not an ocean. So when you when you look at, at 
why there's con contentious relations between the, the, the nations of the world is because some have a ton of stuff and some have nothing. And there's nations like China that has a resource that they discovered lately in the last 50 years called labor. I mean, they have all these Chinese people running around. They got, what, 2 billion of them. Might as well get them to work. And so they got them to make things. But that doesn't solve their resource problems. So why are they down talking to little itty-bitty Polynesian uh, islands that are collectively 500 square miles spread out over 2,000 islands? I mean, why would you want to talk to those people? Well, they must have some resource you want. Let's talk for a moment now that you mentioned it. Um, you know, we spent so much time in Southeast Asia. Was that for naught? Where are we... Where is that all staying? That was to deny China the access to the resources that we denied Japan from. Mm -hmm. Remember, Japan took that whole area over and in the 30s prior to World War II actually started in the late 20s, early 30s. And it was mostly an Asian war. <laughs> I mean, China, Japan was just had lost its damn mind and was running around doing very Vladimir Putin things. And in, uh, in, well, it started in Chinese and then it realized it needed, it, you, you know how when you grab a piece, the bandits are over there. So you got to, that's how the Roman Empire built until they finally just built a wall around the place and said, all right, enough of this. We're overextending. And they actually gave up little bits of Gaul and little bits of Germania and little bits of here and there. And, and for 200 years, the Roman Empire contracted. Well, the pieces it was shedding off were useless anyway. And they were being held merely as buffer and security zones, which they realized that, well, these tribes that we had buffer and security zones against are now over here. So we really don't need all this land. It's costing us money and, and lives to defend. Well, that's that's the same thing that was that's that's going on with with like the the Chinese and with the Russians and all this other stuff. There's just it's so Indonesia then has really been uh, set up to sort of flourish now, right? Well, it's it's an economic zone. Yeah. I mean, when when you look, here's the problem with Africa. I'm bringing Africa up because of what you just yeah, said about yeah. Southeast I want to bring Asia. Africa. Thank you. In Southeast Asia, if you look at it. There's places like China that defines the, the, the low point of labor in the world economy. China no longer does. Ethiopia does. But China used to, up until a couple of years ago, was the low point of labor. So if you wanted to get sneakers made, so you're selling, you've tricked American youths into believing that a sneaker should cost $200. And you've talked the Chinese into making them for $2, and it only costs $10 to ship them. So somebody's making a ton of money. Okay. So that that's that's you're looking for those disparities between the cost of production and the and the sale. So you need someone to be poor, but but of educated enough and healthy enough to work. And that's what happened in Southeast Asia. I mean, it, it, remember, it used to be kind of a joke made in Japan. Mm -hmm. Everything crappy was made in Japan. Now, Japan is kind of like the gold standard for a lot of things. Well, the same thing happened in Korea. 
They started out with made in Korea. Crap, what are, what are we poor? Why are we buying this? Well, they became the production and they allowed that disparity to exist. And now they're wealthy and they actually are buying things from China. So if you look at Southeast Asia, the same thing was going on there. Tons of people, quite a few resources, lots of shipping lanes, moderate education, some health. Let's go colonize, economically colonize that area. And now you got Vietnam, which is, you know, it's like with a bullet to the top of the economic chart. And the same thing now is if, if, if we can organize Africa and look at Africa. See, you can't, if you look at Southeast Asia, you can't look at Vietnam and Cambodia and Laos and Burma. Now, Vietnam emerged because they paid they paid mind to what was going on, but it's an economic cooperative between Southeast Asian nations. It, with, and all those are cooperating. They're cooperating and the roads are being built and there's, there's, a, there's a lot of cross-pollinization between their economies, but Vietnam is the engine of that little area, okay? South Korea used to be the engine of that little area and it spilled over into Vietnam. See, wealth builds. And, and that's why the Soviet Union fell, was when they stole the, the, the Russian Empire from the Tsar, it, was, it had a lot of latent wealth. Lots of fields had already been cleared. Lots of rivers had already been dredged. Lots of ports had already been built. Lots of cities were already around. So lots and lots of hundreds of years and, and, and tons of labor and gold rubles had been spent prior to the Soviet Union. And they, Soviet Union, t technically consumed because they, 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 they never produced more than they consumed. So what were they doing? They were eaten into the czar's wealth, into the national wealth of the czars that was left behind. And that's why they fell, because they spent the czar's last gold rubles or stole it. And, and that's what you, you kind of have to look at. Right now, China is going through that. China is is not really producing. It has a huge middle class. It's bigger than the, the American middle class. But there's still 1.5 billion poor in China. I mean, don't get don't get confused by the lights of Shanghai. And, and, and don't don't sit there and look at the cultural wonder of Beijing. That's all a facade. I mean, any nation that big and that old, that many people should have a couple really good cultural and economic cities. And they do. But the fact of the matter is, is that they've passed that point where they're the cost, the, the, the low cost of labor in, in the international market. That's moved on to Vietnam. And then that moved on to gotcha. Ethiopia. And so these other places are merging markets. And China can't have that. They've got to remain. So that's why they're that's why they're exploding across Asia right now. And right now in, in the South Pacific trying to talk these poor little countries into giving them their, their crap. It's like, we need so much resources and so much stuff because we have so many mouths to feed that if we don't take your stuff from you and give it to our people, we're going to have a revolution. And right now there's, a, again, George Friedman and his crowd and the geopolitical crowd, which I'm a member of, we believe that Russia and China are declining powers. And we, we think that neither is going to go down quietly like the Soviet Union did. China is going to go down fighting, and they have already made that clear. And Russia, 
We didn't think they were that insane, but there they are. So they're going down fighting. Europe is actually coming back. Europe ha is having a little bit of a renaissance, but th here's the problem with Europe. Until they go back and mix, mix them up a batch of the secret sauce that makes Western culture work. Right. Okay, what's the, what's the secret sauce for Western culture? Nobody ever answers this right. I don't think I can. Christianity. Oh, yes. That is what well, binds us together. I tell you, you and I agree totally on that. I'm afraid that uh, the secular world is just pounding on that uh, institution. No, the secular elite. Secular Let's elite. be careful. Yeah, I don't worry about that internally here. Our little mm -hmm. woke world and our little nihilists here will absolutely render that uh, obsolete. Well, And that's what I see us fighting for domestically. We are fighting for morality in the West. Yes. That's what I think we're fighting for. Internally. Which, by the way, why do we care about Christianity as a political force? Okay. Well, because it is, it is a choice, and it is not evil. It's an it's a actual presence, and, uh, you know, it has um, character. The change is internal as a human being. It has given us free will. Right makes us responsible. Right. We have obligations and responsibilities. Right. right. Well, well, that, that's what happens when you get rid of... show, by the way. My well, no, this is Russia's problem. Yeah. They keep talking about the Orthodox Church is back, but the Orthodox Church in Russia is a tool of the, of the, of the Russian state. So therefore, it's not a true Christian force. And in the United States, they've yet to nationalize the Christian Church. They're just trying to destroy it. They would rather not... But but is the West coming back? The answer, the question was, yes, it is. But it's not until in pla places like Poland are very Christian. In fact, right. Catholic. Greatest Pope. Yeah. Best one ever, exactly. Best one ever. Um, but I, I personally believe that Poland is going to be the template for the future of Europe. I think you're right. I think, I think Poland is... Right. is Poland is the next national. The next somebody has to lead. Yes, the Poland, Poland will be the leader of of Poland. and and you know you, you've got Germany sitting there going Poland. <laughs> How who the? <laughs> We've been talking about several, which we will. I try to get the material lad in here every once in a while, and 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 get him to sit down and chat. We're going to try to get him back. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about a local scene right now, which he, some reason, has thrown his... I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know me. what's wrong with you. Right up until now, I thought, I'm listening to a sage fellow. Yeah. <laughs> and like Vladimir Putin, I lose and my damn mind. Yeah. Everything. And now all of a sudden, he shows me that he had just... His feet are made of clay. I mean, he has thrown his hat. He's applied to uh, be appointed by the governor. Who knows if he'll get it to be the uh, next county commissioner of Washington County. I, have you been... Uh, had your hand exam. <laughs> yes, and in spite of that, they they took my application. Oh, but my. but here in my defense, other people have applied too. So okay. <laughs> but they're lesser lights. Come on now. Well, nobody with a resume like well, yours. And can can I ask the the listeners to do something? Well, they may or may not. Well, <laughs> yes, it's up to you, dear listeners. Um, if you want to support my candidacy, which I'm only filling out the term. For Mary Alford, who had to resign from District 1, she resigned because she didn't live in the district. I indeed do live in the district. I was a mayor in the district. I was mayor of Micanopy. But 
It's only through the election. The term of office ends, I believe, November 15th. So it's only for about 150 days. So yes, in that respect, I am insane, okay? (laughs) But I do want to do it to represent, to put a Republican voice on the county commission for the budgets. The budgets are being heard during this time. And there is a huge request by law enforcement for a pay raise because they're losing their men to Gilchrist County who's paying more. And we don't have near enough detectives, near enough back, uh, back office support, and near enough patrols. So that's one of the things that I want to take a look at. So if you do support my, my having a, a, a finger in the budget, taxes, millage, law enforcement, pave some roads maybe, you know, well, let's, yeah, yeah, let's, yeah. Not go too far. Yeah, let's, okay, that's the crazy part. This is why I just don't know about it. But yeah. anyway, no, yes, I, I do concur that the budget, and he will put a fine pencil to that, and he understands how money is dear, and these people don't. So you can support me. Yeah, sure. I'm okay. Gonna, you know, and you can support me by, by, by going online to applications at EOG, Executive Office of the Governor, applications at eog.myflorida.com and tell the governor you would like me to be a commissioner. It's only for 150 days. What do you got to lose? You know? <laughs> yeah, Mick and Obi kept me around nine years and they're still standing. Okay. We'll, we'll put it up in a little bit. But, um, you know, it's, it is a perplexing situation when it is uh, difficult to help these political people understand that it is money, and they think of it as well, not not a money. thing. And they don't pay attention to the fact that it's it is money, you know, that they're slinging around the numbers and what they spend it on, and does it return anything? You know, it, you know, it's crazy. Think right? of it this way, okay? Let's say you have a really bad teacher in a classroom, okay? And that teacher can't teach. Those children in third grade have to learn how to start spelling or something. You know, whatever is critical to their future. Because education is, is it's foundational. Little pieces get laid down in layers. And you're not going to be able to quote Shakespeare until you learn your alphabet. Okay, It doesn't go the other way around. And so if you have a teacher in a classroom and she can't, he can't teach those children, and there's 30 of them and it was a year, That's 30 human years wasted, 31 if you count the teacher, okay? And that's how I see money. Money is earned at, let's say, an average of $15 an hour, all right? And you spend $3 million on something frivolous, all right? How many people had to work? How many hours and how many human years is that? Have we taken out of this economy and just wadded it up and squandered it? And that's that's what a budget hearing's about, is like you sitting here talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, let's talk about a person having to earn the fraction they had to earn of that. Okay, so boom, he doesn't matter. He doesn't matter. She doesn't matter. Let's spend theirs. Who cares? You know, it's like, no, 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 stop. These are humans. This dollar represents a slice of a human life. Take care of it. And I don't I don't feel like they do that. Well, the bigger the government, you know, the less 
sense there is yeah, what they're doing. That distance, exactly. And, and you know, you like to think of you were the mayor of a small town, you like to think that the closer the government is to the people, the better it is. I think you probably have found that out. But we're getting so far away from that, it's so abstract. You know, um, there was a very fine line in uh, a quote that I remember from a Mark on Southern religion by Alan Cape, published in uh, uh, one of his works. And he, uh, uh, I'll take my stand, but it's all Southern. And he said, abstraction is a death of anything no less than religion. Mm -hmm. And what he means by that is, and he gave an example. The metaphor. Here's the real force, and here's horse power. He said, You lose your spirituality when you substitute for the real force a living, dying, aging force that breathes on your hand and you respond with to the abstraction horse power. And that's how you lose your spirituality. Mm -hmm. You lose your, your, your awareness that this is an absolute heart and lung situation. Right. That's why I see dollars as yeah. humans. And I'll always remember. Abstraction is a death of anything, no less than religion. And and that's that's what's uh, really unfortunate. Yeah. And we don't have the classics. You know, one of the things that Remy and I enjoy talking with each other about is we can roam rather freely and um, sort of hopscotch around through classical literature and poetry and history and geography. And you keep talking about geography. Geography was my favorite course in school. It's become mine. Favorite course in school. I got to tell you, I always aced the geography test. And for one thing, I had a, a teacher who was our track coach, of all things, and I wanted to please the track coach because I thought he was a pretty good man, and he really methodically prepared us on the track, and he methodically prepared us in the classroom. And ironically, athletic fields are all perfectly flat. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but I would actually outline the geography book. I, I was the only kid in class that did. And I, I, had, I knew where everything was. I had this here and that there. It was in my head, so when I came to take the test, I mean, it was there. I mean, it was nothing I hadn't studied and looked at. I just found it fascinating, particularly when you think of the situation we were talking about with river territories down the center of the country, prevailing crosswinds across, great breadbasket in the middle. Mm -hmm. um, there's no place else around like it. So, um, well, if, if you if you stop thinking about, I'm, I'm talking to parents who homeschool and stuff too. Geography isn't about mountain ranges and the name of places and where the lines are and stuff. Geography, to make it make sense, if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? Okay. Well, what does it matter if there's a mountain there unless it stops humanity from doing something or it causes weather on this side that causes us to grow this kind of crop? Look at geography as, as, as its effect on the development of human civilization. And then it becomes terribly interesting. Now you know why Mexico is down here. I mean, Mexico literally doesn't really start until you get down to like Guadalajara. Yeah, There's a big piece of Mexico and a big piece of the United States. It's all desert and it's really useless. Mm -hmm. We could both lose those territories to the other and not hurt our national security imperatives very much. So if you, if you look at geography, as its effect upon humans, it becomes far more interesting. Well, the Rebbe Samurai today, and he's going to post, we're going to post that little address there for the application, and I don't know what's come over him, but um, normally he's a rather rational person. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how irrational the governor is. <laughs> yeah, we'll see if the governor pays any attention at all. But uh, we have
have a good governor, and I'm sure the governor will do the best thing uh, by the need. And uh, thankfully, we do. You know how narrowly we played that we came to not having this governor. You know, fifty thousand votes. I mean, it really. This time around, though, it's going to be two, three hundred thousand votes. Yeah, it's, it's going to be comfortable. It's going to be comfortable. Well, listen. Uh, have a great day, and thanks for listening to the Wards God Files and patronize our sponsors. And every once in a while, get a little extra pocket change, kick in a donation to the Wards God Files. I will assure you, we'll do it for great use. Warthog Command Center out.